0: So I have a friend who's a pastor and in his church they often say if there's a week where they go over in service he owes them that amount of time the following week. Now for those of you who were here last week and we went a half hour over I have to say I can't give you a half hour of your time back but I promise we will get out on time today. But something that I've been thinking about lately is How often in our lives do we wish we could go back? Go back to the days of our childhood, those days of unbridled laughter and joy. Days filled with wonder and awe when you could spend 20 minutes enraptured in the beauty of a single flower or where you could be sent into uncontrollable giggles at the loving licks of a dog. (laughs) We would pump our legs on swing sets, tilting our heads back into the sun, and for a moment, we believed we could fly. There was a time when nothing tasted better than that ice cream cone. And there was a time when nothing hurt more than scraping your knee on a bike ride. But we can't go back. And while adulthood comes with responsibilities, jobs, mortgages, children of our own, how to pay for college, the threat of global climate change and racism, and now a global health epidemic, sometimes maybe you, like me, wish that we could just go back. In our scripture today, we know that Israelites, freed from slavery, cried out to God in the desert that they would rather be sent back than to have to continue on. And as Jesus leaves the powerful affirmation of his baptism and is driven by the Holy Spirit to the desert to be tempted by the devil, I can't help but wonder if he too wishes that he could just go back.
1: Our Old Testament reading is Exodus 13:17 through 18 and verses 20 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Testament reading is from Matthew four, one through eleven. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited for him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.
0: Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. Be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. As a little girl, I had this refrain. I didn't mean to do it. It'd often be followed by the tinkling of glass-breaking or the shattering of china coming from some part of the house. I hadn't meant to do it after all. And this, for this reason, I have to confess, I was a leash child. I was a bull in a china shop. And until I was about 10, now I wasn't a leash child until I was 10. But until I was about 10, my mother wouldn't even let me into a gift shop. She would pull my hand forwardly and promise me ice cream or other, some other treat to lure me away from the breakable items. The number of things broken is shamefully high, and these broken things would be gathered up with a broom or a vacuum and tossed with tears. I remember sometimes my father would patiently sit with super glue, trying to make whole again that which had been shattered broken. Within our New Testament reading for today, we hear of something a little radical. We hear of Jesus' temptation, of his brokenness. After the clouds part and the dove descends and a voice from on high declares, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus does not capitalize on the momentum of this event, as any good politician would, garnering those present and beginning his movement. Jesus did, after all, have the best endorsement of all time in that moment. But no, instead of diving into his ministry, God's spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness Not to be surrounded by supporters, but to be completely and totally alone. The passage says, to be tempted. Jesus' temptation speaks of his humanity. For Jesus to be tempted, it means that he's not some perfect God beyond reproach, but that at least part of him is fully human susceptible and broken part of him had to wrestle with following God's abundance and love in opposition to the power of an ego that we find in this world Jesus is tempted and challenged by the same demons and devils that you and I face as Jesus is asked to turn stones into bread is tempted to a starving man who hasn't eaten for 40 days the devil says you don't have to live like this the devil invites him to believe in his own power to go from nothing and to create a world for himself of material abundance he's not after all just asked to make one loaf of bread but many to pull him, himself up by his own bootstraps. But later, we will hear Jesus preach and teach of only asking for our daily bread. He's tempted a second time, and he's asked to throw himself off of the tallest part of the temple, believing in his own invincibility. And third, he is asked to give into the conventional ways of power and authority. The devil says, this could all be yours, if only. It's interesting that this is our reading to start the Lenten season. Because these temptations that we find at the beginning of Jesus' ministry are also mirrored in Jesus' last days of ministry. We see Herod demanding a miracle while Jesus is on trial. We hear folks crying out, if you are really the son of God, save yourself. Above him on the cross is placed a sign that says, here is the king of the Jews. And underneath it all, there's the subtext. Doesn't God care about you enough to rescue you? But Jesus's entire ministry is a refutation of these temptations, these broken pieces within himself. It is a confrontation with his own brokenness that cultivates his ministry. New Testament professor Audrey West writes that wilderness experience is replayed in Jesus's encounter whenever he meets people who are sick or hungry or in need. That Jesus' wilderness experience is replayed when he meets folks who use their connection to power, including perhaps those pesky lawyers and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees who test him continually to ascertain his loyalty. And the wilderness is seen with people who too easily are about the world's assessment of greatness rather than God's. And we see that In folks, including his own disciples. Our temptations, those broken bits that each of us have within ourselves, come back to us time and again throughout our lives. We all have those lies that we tell ourselves about who we should be, about what we should be able to do or accomplish the lies we tell ourselves about how others perceive us. And these temptations are whispered into our ears, our brokenness appearing and reappearing just as Jesus' did. There's a Japanese art known as kintsugi. It's a, a golden joinery or golden repair. It's where broken pottery is mended and the areas of the breakage are healed by using a lacquered dust that's mixed with gold or silver or platinum. Kintsugi became closely associated with bowls that are used in Japanese tea ceremonies. One theory is that kintsugi may have originated when a Japanese shogun, Yoshimasa, sent a damaged Chinese tea bowl back to China for repair in the 15th century. When it was returned, it was returned repaired as things were in those days, the beautiful porcelain so thin now being held together with chunky metal staples, broken, put back together like Frankenstein's monster. It prompted Japanese craftsmen to look for a more aesthetic or beautiful way of repair. Collectors became so enamored with this new form of art that they actually started taking these beautiful bowls and smashing them so that they could put them back together. The practice of kintsugi has similarities to the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi, an embracing of the flaws or imperfections, highlighting the cracks and the repairs instead of hiding them, that these cracks are simply an event in an object's life. And rather than throwing it away at the time of damage or breakage, instead healing it and making it even more beautiful. One art historian writes that not only is there no attempt to hide the damage, but the repair literally illuminates the damage. This art speaks to our own human reality. It breaks, it chips, it cracks, and this art acts as a teacher of self-compassion. As we find beauty in the golden broken seams, maybe we can also find beauty in our own broken seams and maybe find beauty in the brokenness of others too. Jesus's beauty was not in his perfection, but in his ability to walk through his brokenness and the brokenness that we find in this world and to pour out the golden light of God's love. The golden light that knows that we cannot go back to that time and that place, some great before, before that loss or before our grief, We cannot go back to that time of childish naivete. We cannot go back to the days when the worst thing that we could break was maybe our grandmother's vase or something, some gift shop trinket. Jesus reminds us that our faith does not eliminate our brokenness, but it illuminates our brokenness and it makes it beautiful. And this work, the work of the hard, true confrontation of ourselves, where we can no longer pretend that we are whole, this happens in the wilderness. This Lenten season for both Jesus, we will see it unfold, and I pray it will unfold for each of us as well. In the story of the Israelites that Karen read for us today, though, we are reminded that in this wilderness, we are never alone, that there will be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, reminding us of who and whose we are, and that no matter how lost, how lonely and scared, how uncertain, no matter how chipped or cracked or broken, no matter how the devil and demons of our minds whisper lies into our ears and into our hearts, that God walks with us and that we are God's broken and beloved people and that it is only by going through this wilderness that we will find the freedom of true liberation and know the joy of their resurrection. Amen.